the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. My name is Josh Edison. I'm in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, Dr. M. Dentith, where are you right now? Karlsruhe. Right, that's in Germany, yes? It is indeed in the Baden-Württemberg. And I've just said the last bit of that incorrectly. So sounds of actually it's some kind of weird German Asian film melange. But yes, I'm in Karlsruhe, where I'm spending the next two weeks working on a paper on fake news with the people at the debate lab here. So I am international jet setting conspiracy theory, secrecy and fake news expert, currently resident in Deutschland, or as I like to call it, Germania, because in my heart, it's still a Roman province, except actually it never was a Roman province. Wasn't it? That's just a historical stuff on my part. The Romans never had much success in taking over Germania. It's just one of those things. I never did ancient Roman when I was at university. I was, I was Egypt all the way, and that has served me not well at all. No, I, do know no, I, imagine, I imagine in your work I'm as a documentarian... Which is actually probably not the right term to use. A documentarian not really, makes no. documentaries. You're a documentator? Yes. I'm a document documentor. Documentor. That actually Technical sounds right. Then it, but it, it, documentor sounds like the Latin name for a documentarian. Mm. So what you're saying is that even though you did ancient Egyptian history, you make Roman style documentaries. That's correct. I isn't actually it? do. Yep. In Latin. Exclusively. Which is interesting, because as far as I know, you don't know Latin. I know nothing of Latin whatsoever, no. No, it's an adventure. Every day Every day is an adventure when you live the kind of heady, breakneck life that I lead. It's true. You are hip, you are done with the kids, and everything you do is newsworthy. Mm. Speaking of newsworthy, shall we talk about news? Yes. Breaking, breaking, conspiracy theories in the news. In a development near and dear to our own atrophied and vestigial hearts, stories about buried explosives under North Head have been in the news this week. Yes, long-term listeners will remember that it was urban legends of hidden tunnels and abandoned ammunition under the old fort at North Head in Auckland that led to my interest in conspiracy theories in the first place. While multiple rounds of testing over the years have completely failed to provide evidence of the secrets North Head is supposed to hide, the stories continue to persist, which have led to more testing by the Department of Conservation back in January, with further investigations planned for the future. And the war of words continues. One Captain Joe Harvey says he was responsible for removing ammunition from North Head and doesn't remember leaving anything behind. However, Naval Petty Officer Vern Rule claims he was there when soldiers tasked with removing the ammunition refused to do so, out of fear for their own safety, which resulted in the ammunition being sealed up and those present being sworn to secrecy, a conspiracy of silence. Meanwhile, in a prelude to our actual content, Russia. Yes, Russia, the country we mention so often because once you're on someone's watch list, you can't help but keep going on and on about it. The joint investigation team, which is investigating the downing of flight MH17, which we mentioned just two episodes ago, have concluded that the flight was downed by a Russian missile fired by a Russian military unit. They have not gone so far as to say the downing of MH17 was deliberate, but the onus, they claim, is now on Russia to admit culpability. Russia having claimed it was Ukrainian forces who are responsible for the incident. Russia's response to the report has thus far been subdued, 
and there will likely be more on this in coming weeks. But first, the future. Yes, a time traveller from the future, a supposed time traveller from the future, has passed a lie detector test, thus proving conclusively and beyond a doubt that he is, in fact, from the future. This story isn't so much conspiratorial, as there is no cover-up here, but it's an interesting case of knowing what counts as evidence and what doesn't. You see, lie detector tests are basically worthless. You lie. Test me. Uh, well, you've got me. Yes, the thing about lie detector tests is that they're both easy to trick, and if you sincerely believe what you're saying, even if you're factually wrong, you can pass a lie detector test with ease. So, no, the fact someone who claims to be from the future passed a lie detector test doesn't tell us whether or not he's a time traveller. Especially since the version of the future he comes from sounds so mundane and so uninspired that if that is the future, Josh and I will be travelling forward in time to destroy it. Watch out, future humans, we're coming to get you. Oh, what's this? It's, it's a letter. A letter from the future. From one of your children, Josh. It just says, stop. Please stop. You are embarrassing us. Oh, I'll embarrass them. I'll embarrass them all the way up to their 21sts. Any other news? No, not this week. Things have been a little light on the conspiratorial front. That might be in part because I've been travelling and talking fake news with real Germans. So how about instead we settle in for a little light-hearted chat about assassinations? Yes, let's. So, I'm going to start today's story with a little bit of an anecdote, which is going to sound like it's the setup for a joke, because literally, about a week and a bit ago, I was having lunch with a Russian and a Ukrainian, and we were talking about current events, and the Russian, who also happens to be American, said, oh, I'm a little bit sad, because my friend's just been assassinated. And the Ukrainian said, oh, do you mean Arkady Bachenko? You, you know him. And the Russian said, yes, I've just found out that he's been murdered, and it looks like Russia was responsible. And the Ukrainian nodded his head very sagely. And then a few hours later, the Russian, who I should point out is also American, then sent me a Facebook message and said, no, no, it's fine, my friend isn't dead. And I was going, what do you mean he's not dead? I'm seeing news reports on Twitter about his assassination right now. And she said, no, it all appears to have been some kind of weird hoax. So this story I find to be quite fascinating because I didn't find out about it via the news or via social media like I normally did. I found out about it over lunch. Goodness me, that's practically what? Second-hand, third-hand information? You, you might as well have been there on the spot. I, I now feel I was. I feel mm-hmm. as I was, I was in the room when it occurred. You're basically part, inextricably tied to this interesting event. Um, and event, I, I, I assume our listeners know what we're talking about because it has been fairly big in the news. But um, just, just in case you managed to miss it, it was even on John Oliver this week, I think. So if you watch him, you'll have seen all about it. But um, yes, this fellow Arkady Babchenko, uh, he was a journalist who was who was not beloved of the uh, Russian administration. 
And then, sure enough, the news came out, as, as it happens from time to time with Russian dissidents, that this guy had been found murdered. And obviously, it's sad and tragic, and uh, but, but not entirely 100% unexpected. Um, but what was unexpected was, was it, was it even a day later? Possibly, yeah, just a day later, uh, a press conference was called, and he showed up again, uh, alive as anything. Um Putting, putting even that slacker Jesus to to bed by saying, you know, three days. Pfft. I can do it in one. Mm. Of course, actually, he, he, he wasn't really resurrected by the power of our Lord God. Your Lord God. He, he, he faked his death. Everyone's Lord God. Wait, not even mine. No, I don't know. <clears throat> That's not even the proper term anyway. If I was a proper Christian, I would have known it, but I'm not. So there we go. Uh, yes, no, 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 no matter of divine resurrection here. It was in fact a faked death, and and the details of which, uh, as they've come out, have been kind of interesting and obviously for our purposes quite conspiratorial. Essentially, there, there appears to have been a conspiracy, which then itself was thwarted by another conspiracy. Yes, yeah, so it's probably useful at this particular point in time to say a little bit about Babchenko. So Babchenko mm. is a Russian who currently is living in exile in the Ukraine. Well, I was about to say, was living in exile in the Ukraine, was murdered, is once again living in exile in the Ukraine, post-murder. Mm. Uh, he's kind of famous for his criticism of the Kremlin, particularly with respect to the wars in the Ukraine and Syria. There have been nationalistic campaigns of intimidation against him, which caused him to leave Russia. And he quite famously actually aroused fury when he had a Facebook post claiming he didn't really, uh, oh, actually give the quote here, didn't give a damn, because apparently he's from Gone with the Wind, about the deaths of 92 people, most of them Russian singers, dancers, and musicians, who died in a plane crash en route to Syria to perform. So he's not particularly popular with certain people back in Russia, and certainly his journalistic endeavours showing issues with the way that Russia goes around, say, annexing places like the Crimea, have caused him to be on a watch list, a watch list mm. which appears to have inspired certain people within the Russian apparatus to at least want to have him murdered. Or at least that's the claim. As we'll get into later on in this broadcast, there's there are reasons, not necessarily good reasons, to think this could be part of a massive disinformation campaign against Russia itself. But, um, yes, yeah, start, starting at the start, so he was found that there, there is a photo, you've probably seen it. Um, I, I assume newspapers generally uh, aren't fond of, of uh, putting up crime scene photos of, of dead human beings, um, but in this case, as it Turned out he wasn't dead after all. Uh, the photo's been bandied around a bit more. Um, of this man uh, lying on the floor in a pool of his own blood, I believe it turned out to be pig's blood. It was indeed pig's blood. Uh, but yes. Um, so, so found supposedly um, having having sustained multiple gunshot wounds, was found by his wife. He was um, bundled into an ambulance, um, taken off supposedly... Uh, went on to die of his gunshot wounds, his, his quote-unquote body... Uh, was taken to a morgue where he was pronounced dead and so on and so forth. So it was all, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't just a case of, uh, uh, you know, 
letting a gun off while other people were in another room and saying, oh, by ick, I've been shot, and then sort of running for it. This was, this was quite an elaborate scheme with the full cooper- uh, cooperation of the authorities. But then, then it, it, it all turned out to be hoax. I believe there's a little bit of disagreement as to whether or not the wife was in on it. Uh, initially, people were like, oh, my God, he put his wife through that, but then other reports I've heard say she did actually know what was going on. Yeah, it's a little bit confusing here because, yes, different news reports say the wife knew and didn't know. Uh, Babchenko himself said at the press conference... First of all, I'd like to apologize that all of you had to live through this because I know the horrible feeling when you have to bury your colleagues. Separately, I want to apologize to my wife, Alexia, for all the hell she had to go through. Now, people are still suspicious as to whether she knew or didn't know because Babchenko has been, has been rather cocksure since the attempted assassination on his life. He's been making claims that he will live till the ripe age of 96 and will be dancing on Putin's grave, and has been making several inflammatory statements, which is, you know, one is what to do when one survives an assassination mm. attempt. And maybe the claim is that he's making people think that no one other than himself and the Ukrainian security services knew about it to make it seem bigger and more impressive and other people are going no it does seem the wife did actually know and she had to be in on that particular plot and one has one does have to assume this is the point that john oliver made if she didn't know that relationship is presumably ever so slightly strained now because even if you are relieved that your partner hasn't been assassinated having to find your partner apparently dying on the floor and then being told by a doctor your partner is dead and then to find out that was an elaborate hoax you were never let in on, that's going to be hard to deal with next Valentine's Day. Yes, I mean, things seem to work out um, in the in the true-to-life historical documentary uh, The Dark Knight when Commissioner Gordon pulled a similar stunt. So um, maybe they'll be okay. But yes, it's, it's a little bit unclear. I- I mean, you, you could do it the other way and say that perhaps he's trying to uh, should should any should there attempt to be any sort of revenge for this deception by making sure that other not to implicate other people in the plot, he might be trying to keep them safe. But no, he doesn't. It, co- cocksure is probably the right word. He 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 possibly seems to be the, be under the opinion that Putin, Putin's only allowed to try to assassinate you once, and that if he doesn't, then then you you've got your get out of assassination free card now or something. Um, I don't think that's how it works, but uh, I could be wrong. Maybe he if he he'd know more than I would. It's true. He is a journalist who specialises mm. in reporting about Russia. Maybe Putin does have a one attempt only policy, and if you survive, you get to live to the right age of night the ripe ape. The ripe ape. The ripe, the ripe age mm. of 96. Exactly 96. Very specific. does make us wonder. It does make me wonder if he knows something that we don't. But um, anyway, now you, so, so this, was all, this was all revealed at a press conference the day after. Um, he attended the press conference with uh, Ukraine Secret Service Chief and their Prosecutor General. So once again, you know, the, the, this was with the full knowledge and assistance of the the uh, authorities and, and quite high up in the authorities. Although there is a question here as to whether the Prime Minister knew, because the Prime Minister was, I believe, actually in New York at the UN at the time. 
when the announcement of Babchenko's death was first announced. Just use the word announced there twice, that's terrible. And his statement at the time either reads as someone going, well, I don't know the full details of what's going on, so it's terrible, or is the statement of someone who knows exactly what's going on and doesn't want to reveal any more. So there's a question as to how far up the chain this information went within the Ukrainian administration. But yes, definitely the chief of the Secret Service and the prosecutor general knew exactly what was going on. This was a trap. But a trap for whom? Well, um, yes. Mm. So... Uh, Babchenko claims that he knew a month in advance that there was a plot to assassinate him. Uh, he thought that the Ukrainian secret services uh, knew about it two months in advance. Um, and he, his, his uh, version of the story is that the Ukrainian security services came to him, told him that the, there was a hit out on him, and said that the only way to reveal the plotters was to, to fake his assassination. Um, and that's that's exactly what they did. Make up artists, pigs, blood, all the pulled out all the stops. I, to be honest, I don't quite understand the mechanics of the whole thing. Um, I mean, they they wanted the organisers of the plot to sort of be lulled into a false sense of security, think they'd got away with it, so that they could um, gather evidence on them and spring them. But I, I'm not quite sure about the timing of it all because surely, if these people had, as they suggested. Um, paid, where was it, $40,000 to someone to assassinate Mr. Babchenko, and then he shows up dead on the news, would not the assassin then say, um, actually, that, that wasn't me, but had they already picked him up at the time? I'm still I'm a little bit flaky on the details, to be honest. Let me walk you through what happened here. Please do. So, yes, an alleged Russian came to the Ukraine with $40,000 US to order a hit on Babchenko. Now, from the sound of it, the Russian agent actually kept 10000 of that for himself. So only 30000 US dollars was going to be spent on this hit. He contacts a Ukrainian national who's been involved in various bits and pieces. So the, uh, the contract killer uh, was a veteran of the separatist conflict in the eastern Ukraine. This contract killer goes to the Ukrainian secret services after getting a down payment of 15,000 US dollars and says, uh, I've been commissioned to put a hit out on Arkady Babchenko. So the contract killer becomes an agent for Ukrainian uh, secret services. That makes more sense. He then goes through the assassination. As we know, the assassination never occurs, but he claims to kill him. Uh, they stage the scene. He then gets the rest of the money, the other 15000 at which point, after he takes the money, the Ukrainian Secret Services, the SBU, then arrest the organiser. Although some news reports say they actually arrest two people. And all we know about the plot's organiser is he's described as a portly man in a white shirt and is known only as Mr. G. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Joshua, 
Mr. G is a character from House of the Dead, isn't he? And also, I believe, how, how the Sasha Baron Cohen character, Ellie G, is referred to in more formal contexts. So, quite frankly, there's a wealth of, of possible suspects here. Yes, exactly two. Mm, mm, a wealth of two. One of which is a, poly, a polygonal model found only in a computer game found in arcades. Mm. The other of whom is the fictional alter ego of a British comedian who starred in a movie where Charles Dance wore a miniskirt. Well, Charles just, Dance just can saying. dance. Mm, he, he, well, he does in that film. Uh, anyway, I, 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 I'm starting to think we might, might be getting sidetracked here. But yeah, so yeah, so the mechanics is the assassin was working for the Ukrainian secret services. Now, of course, the operative question here is why didn't they just organize, uh, arrest the organizer once the down payment is made? Why did they have to go through the hoaxed assassination? Well, yes, that's that's kind of the bit I don't really understand. Um, they they claim it was all about um, where are we uh, again the the false sense of security. Um, they wanted to gather more evidence and they wanted to link this plot specifically to Russian secret services because obviously it's all well and good picking up the one guy who was the one who paid the money to the assassin, but. Um, if they want to link this back to an actual uh, a directive that came from higher up in, in the Russian administration, um, then they're going to need a little bit more evidence. Now, I suppose what you might be looking for is once the hit is made, you want to make sure that the organiser then sends back a confirmation message to their superiors mm. back in Moscow. So maybe that's the, like that. we have to fake Actually, the death so that we get the confirmation message sent back because otherwise all you have is Russian national comes to the Ukraine and wants to kill a Russian in exile. That could be a private concern. Mm. But once you get confirmation of the death and that confirmation goes back to the Kremlin, then you go, oh, no, that's a state-sanctioned killing by that point. Yes, a single person you could um, you could write off as a, as a as a misguided patriot who thought, you know, who, who thought he was doing the Russian administration a favour, but acting independently. Yes, but that's sort of um, a Russian Jack Ruby. Mm, exactly. Um, what happened to Jack Ruby? He died of cancer, didn't he? He did. Yeah. He shot Oswald and then died of cancer. Yes. Not immediately though. Yeah, although, weird. So <laughs> I should point out that that's correlation, not causation. Yes, yes. Lee Harvey Oswald doesn't cause cancer. As far as I we know. I think it was smoking which causes cancer. Mm. Yes, and I mean, obviously, it, it almost goes without saying that there is a lot of politics involved here. Russia and Ukraine uh, are not on the best of terms at the moment. Um, the, the, the shooting down of MH17 that we've just talked about is, is but one of, of numerous points of contention about what's going on there. Babchenko is is a journalist in exile, it would be fair to say, in Ukraine. Um, so I can certainly see why you'd want, for, for political purposes, um, to, to tie this back to Russia, and I suppose for simply the, the security of your own country. It's, if, if people are running around there commissioning assassinations, you're going to want to know exactly what's going on. So, for, for, again, back to the, um, the conspiracy angle. So we... The Ukraine is definitely alleging a conspiracy um, to to murder um, Mr. Babchenko. I, I, I think it would be fairly fair to say that uh, the counteraction against him was also a conspiracy, wasn't it? Right, it was an action. It was. I mean, there, was there was a 
there was a cover-up where they faked someone's death to essentially do what secret services and the police do all the time, which is to lull people into a sense of false security about a crime they've committed so they can then spring the trap upon them. So there was a cover-up, there was a plot, it involved multiple people operating in secret. There definitely was a conspiracy against the secretive assassination attempt against Arkady Babchenko. So a conspiracy to counter a conspiracy. It's just conspiracy theories all the way down. Yeah, as well it should be. Uh, now, I understand at the time he was obviously very pleased with himself for cheating. Um, other people have not been so happy with the whole stunt. Um, Babchenko's wife possibly among them, depending on whether or not she was in it. But I believe other um, uh, uh, sort of journalistic organisations have not been happy that this kind of stunt occurred. No, Reporters Without Borders called the day's development pathetic and regrettable and dangerous for any government to manipulate facts. Uh, the Committee to Protect Journalists called, well, actually asked why extreme measures such as staging Babchenko's murder was necessary. And Moscow-based journalists have gone, look, this has actually undermined the credibility of journalists and the media. Babchenko, one of them, uh, Andrei Solotov, said, is a journalist, not a policeman, for Christ's sake. And part of our job is trust whatever Trump and Putin say about fake news. So some journalists have gone, look, what has happened here is that Russia can quite plausibly say this is just fake news about Russia. This was a hoaxed assassination, and they're claiming that they had to hoax the assassination to root out Russian spies. But, you know, it just looks like the Ukrainian secret services have faked murdering someone to tar Russia for a crime that Russia did not commit. Yes, it does. It does seem to have an element of propaganda about it, doesn't it? It's um, the, the the news conference, the the sort of the flashy way it was staged. You could you could imagine them having been more subtle about it. I mean, I suppose if if it really was true that um, faking his murder um, was the only way to get it done, then that probably you couldn't have done that without it making the news. Um, so so may, maybe there was no no way around it. But it, it does seem like it was done, at least part of the um, motivation behind the way it was done was to score a propaganda coup against Russia. But I mean, and the reason why, you know, something like this, the death of a journalist is guaranteed to make the news pretty much instantly, is that, of course, um, it would be very readily believed because there's such a lot of precedent. Um, journalists critical of the Putin regime tend to have a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a check on their lifespan. I mean, how many incidents of murdered Russian and just just journalists forgetting the other people like your um, Litvinenko's and your uh, uh, God the name's completely just escaped me the, the guy and his daughter who just got our uh, Skripals the Skripals simply looking at journalists I mean how many of them have been murdered or supposedly murdered by Russian agents well since 2012 at least 10 mm. so, so you know just over one a year yeah journalists don't seem to have a very good lifespan if they're critical of Russia in general. Mm. So I guess the other thing, as with um, the MH17 incident, uh, Russia's response, I believe, has been flat-out denial. 
Um, and here... Oh, yes. I mean, spokeswoman Maria Zakharova described the operation as a masquerade done for propagandistic effect. And she added that Russia was, was happy that Babchenko was alive, saying... I wish it were always like that. I can imagine. I can imagine Putin sitting there, biting his nails, going, "Ugh, oh, that poor journalist man who was killed in his in his house. I am so very sad." And ah, oh, he's alive! Hooray! My accent went through about five different Eastern European countries there, but you get the idea. Indeed, even hitting Transylvania at mm. one point. Well done. Yes. Two Transylvanian accents. Anyway, um. But yes, so so again, it just sort of turns into the into a bit of a propaganda war, and as I say, but because there does seem to have been at least you know, a, a partial motivation was was uh, propaganda there. That does then mean the Russians can turn that around and say, look, this was just a propaganda stunt. You're just trying to make us look bad again. Although Babchenko has has replied to that, so mm-hmm. in a Facebook post, which was posted basically the day after his miraculous resurrection, he actually ridiculed people who said. This was a propaganda stunt by the Ukraine, wasn't it? By saying that those who allege that Ukrainian authorities carried out the operation just for a laugh, in the case of, oh, yes, the Ukrainian authorities are all like, we're kind of bored, we have nothing to do. Let's paint Babchenko's back with blood, make his face a giant blood clot, take him to the morgue and say it was like that from the beginning. And these guys were like, hell yeah, let's do it, because we really have nothing else to do. So Babchenko has gone, look, if you think that the Ukrainian Secret Service is going to go to all of this effort to tar Russia with my mock assassination, you really need to think about the kind of claims you're making here. Do you find that convincing? No, not at all. I think that if you're in a situation where there's a... A political dispute between one nation state and another, and that political dispute has included things such as planes being shot down over your territory and people making they said they, they said claims about it. I don't think it's out of the picture that the Ukrainians could have hoaxed the entire thing from the start. I think given Russia's history of extrajudicial assassination of journalists and people who are just critical of Russia's role in the world, it seems much more likely that Russia was behind this. But at the same time, there are sort of aspects to the story that go, bits of the story are a bit weird. So apparently they knew about the plot two months before it began, and then they only alerted Babchenko one month before the assassination. And yet the money passing hand and things like that occurred much later on in the story. The timeline itself does seem ever so slightly weird. The fact that they had to go through the death rather than simply arrest the organizer as soon as he paid the money through to the alleged hit person. There are aspects of the story that make you go, Mm, the story is weird, but then again, almost any story about an extrajudicial assassination is going to end up being weird. These are not normal events. And when you describe the apparatus of standard spy or surveillance activity, it always ends up being, you went through so much effort for what? Mm. Well, 
if we were to if we were to manufacture a moral um, that suits our own purposes from the whole episode, would it be fair to say that um, this is further justification for the idea that a conspiracy theories are not inherently irrational because we can see conspiracy type events occurring all the time? And that because we know such conspiracies uh, do occur, we should therefore be suspicious of any these sorts of events when they happen. Yes, I think that's a perfectly good moral. Let me add a second moral to that, which is about the evidential stuff. So as, as I said earlier, there's a, there's a question here as to how many people were arrested by the Ukrainians after the event. So the standard story is we've got Mr. G. Some of the stories mention there was a second person arrested. Now, of course, with any breaking news story, there's a lot of information which gets put into the media, some of which, when it gets fact-checked a few days later, is going to disappear. And so what makes the assassination or the mock assassination of Arkady Babchenko so interesting is that because the news story broke so quickly, and then we got the story of his survival one day later. It turns out that we have two competing news stories, the initial assassination story, then the survival story, and there's going to be fact-checking for both of those, the initial report and then the report about his survival. And so you're going to get these kind of weird things, such as Babchenko says the timeline looks like that. We actually have no statement from the Ukrainian Secret Service as to when they found out about the plot. So Babchenko might just be wrong. Maybe the Ukrainians didn't know two months in advance. Maybe they only knew at the point at which they then went and told him about things. The story about how many people were involved is going to be due to presumably just printing everything available at any particular point in time and refining the story as things go on. And so the reason why there are going to be probably ongoing conspiracy theories about the assassination of Babchenko is that there's a lot of information out there, and it's probably going to take quite some time before we get the official history, so to speak, of what went on here. And in that time between the initial media reports and the official story coming out, the confusing details are going to launch a thousand ships of conspiracy theories out towards Troy. Because I'm just going to go whole hog with that analogy there. And I think that's the fascinating part. Normally what you would have in these situations is the story about the assassination. But of course, we've got two competing narratives here. The story of the initial assassination and, of course, the story of the survival. And trying to sort out both stories into one grand unified narrative is going to take some work. Mm. And whilst that work is going on, there are going to be a lot of competing theories to explain any supposed discrepancies in those tales. Mm. Well, there you go. Well, I think we've come to the end of an episode, um, having wrapped up this really, really quite interesting story. Um, we could have done it as part of a news update this week or probably even last week, but frankly, it was uh, worth going into in a bit more detail because it's, it's if, if nothing else, it's really quite fascinating. And also trying to work out how to put it into a pithy news segment mm. turned out to be a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. Yes, well, there you go. So it was much better to talk about it in this kind of free-flowing mm. conversation than try to make it into one paragraph. Yes. So you are in Germany next week as well? 
I am indeed. I'm in Karlsruhe up until Friday of next week. Well, there we go. So we may have another dispatch from Deutschland uh, next week. Will we get a Will we get a bit of a look at the the work you've been doing, or will we have to wait until it gets sort of published officially? Oh, there might be a bit of a discussion about some fake news next week. Mm, well, that could be useful. Oh well, you'll just have to tune in and find out. There we go. Look at that plugging future content. I should be telling them to like and subscribe. If and they... remember, give money to our patron campaign. Mm. But I believe that'll all be covered in the, the handy little pre-canned extra bit that we'll play uh, shortly after we say goodbye, which I think is what we're about to do now. Is it what we're about to do now? Yes. Yes, right. It is. I'm about to say, wait for it, wait for it, goodbye. And I will counter with goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. It is written, researched, and performed by Josh Atterson, a.k.a. Monkey Fluids, and M.R.X. Dentith, a.k.a. Conspiracism on Twitter. This podcast is available where all good podcasts can be found, as well as iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. It can also be watched on YouTube, Just search for the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, or, if you happen to be technophobic, consult the auguries. You can support the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy via our Patreon page, as listed in the podcast description, or just by searching for us on Patreon. You can also support us via the Podbean patronage system, if that is more your style. You do you. If you want to get in contact with us, why not email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And remember, it's just a step to the left.